our human bodies and minds have not evolved to distinguish between an emotional fear, a physical fear, all of it feels the same. And it ignites the fight, flight, or freeze complex for many Mm. of us. And sometimes we get that analysis paralysis and we just freeze and we don't end up doing anything. Or sometimes we even run away from the thing that we say we want. You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? Welcome to the Divine Living Podcast. I'm your host, Gina DeVee. You're not alone in wanting more. And here at the Divine Living Podcast, you can expect to be part of conversations from women like us who unapologetically dream big and are obsessed with manifesting our most fabulous lives. The conversation starts now. Judy, I am so happy to have you on the show today. It is ironic because I think it's about a year ago this time when your amazing book, Stop Self-Sabotage, we're going to dive into that in a minute, first came out that we actually first recorded a whole episode and the sound quality wasn't what we wanted it to be. So the universe must have something really special in store for our conversation today. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Gina. I love how much you're killing it all the time, doing so many amazing things. You're an inspiration and it's an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know that I need what you have to offer. And so do my listening queens. So queens, listen up. You're just going to, you're going to go nuts getting to know Dr. Judy herself, but also diving in deep to her book. So let's just start and take a, I mean, I feel like it's just been such a whirlwind this whole year. And I think if there was ever a year to give ourselves an excuse for self-sabotage, it was probably this one. But Queens follow no excuses policy. So I just really want to dive into, let's give ourselves like so much love around understanding this concept, what it is, and then how we can actually not do this to ourselves. So I want to share when I was like, I was so delighted that our mutual agent, Wendy Sherman introduced us. And I was like, oh, this book is cool. Self-sabotage. I probably have some clients that this will be good for. This isn't me, but it's, you know, this is for other people. (laughs) Those those people that mess with their own lives. I mean, I know I've got some issues, but self sabotage certainly couldn't be one of mine. And like, I open this book, I'm like, oh my, oh my, oh my. All right, so I I quickly embraced because I would rather be happy than right. Quickly embraced all the areas that you very thoroughly identified that I self sabotage as well. So let's just talk about in case there's any other queens out there thinking this isn't for them. What is self-sabotage? Well, self-sabotage is just quite simply getting in your own way despite your best intentions. And so really it can apply to all different kinds of things, whether it's your next step in your career or how you handle your relationships or how you cultivate good habits and get rid of bad ones from your life. And all of us hit stumbling blocks every once in a while. And even despite what we say we want, we tell it to people, we speak it out loud, we make vision boards and dream lists and we meditate on it. And just every once in a while, we do things that take ourselves out of that path. That's universal. That's everybody. And I really appreciate you just being honest and saying, Hey, yeah, you know what? Sometimes this applies to me. It applies to everybody. It's universal. It applies to me, you, and everybody who might pick up this book. Yeah. Every once in a while, that was, that would be like hourly once I started to get into it. So 
why? Like if, if we humans, I think a lot of people listening to the, my show have a spiritual connection and believe in God, spirit, universe, and like that we were designed to be these epic humans. Like why are, why do we get in our own way? I think we get in our own way because quite simply, we sometimes confuse fear and goal attainment. And all human beings have only two drives. And the two drives are to attain rewards and to avoid threat. And rewards obviously can be anything. It can be food, it can be sex, it can be pleasure, it can be social accolades. And at the same time, the threats can also be anything. It can be running away from a saber-toothed tiger, but it could also be, what if I get rejected? Or what if nobody wants to hear my message? And our human bodies and minds have not evolved to distinguish between an emotional fear, a physical fear, all of it feels the same. And it ignites the fight, flight, or freeze complex for many mm. of us. And sometimes we get that analysis paralysis and we just freeze and we don't end up doing anything. Or sometimes we even run away from the thing that we say we want. Well, hold, hold on. Okay. So why do we get analysis paralysis? There's a lot of different reasons for why people do this. And I think in my book, I speak about four primary factors that seem to affect everybody. But out of the four factors, you may think that one of them speaks more to your experience or maybe a combination of the four. But the four factors are lower shaky self-esteem in some area of your life, early messages that you got from childhood, which is what I call internalized beliefs, F, which is fear of the unknown or fear of change. And finally, E stands for excessive need for control. And any combination of those things can give you that freeze effect or that analysis paralysis we were just talking about. You know, it's interesting because I want to dial this in. Something that happened recently. So I was, I was recently in a, a launch, like a challenge online. And it was this, this really beautiful experience. And thousands of women from around the world um, signed up to be part of it and participated and actively were just like, oh my gosh, like this, I want more of this, I want more of this. And of course, at the end of the challenge, I offered my next program that was coming up. And Judy, thousands of women, thousands of smart, hardworking, educated women went completely into analysis paralysis about wondering if this was right for them is, is what they said. For an entire week, it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How can I keep going with this? I want more of this. This is exactly for me. And then when the offer came, or I don't know, and if we, that, this is a place to talk about triggers, if it was a trigger around money, but I know it wasn't even really money. It was like this whole like deer in headlights analysis process. Like I would keep saying who the program was for. And they're like, I'm like, it's for beginners and more advanced people. And they'd be like, but is it for beginners? Like it was just this whole like analysis paralysis. And so many women got over it and took a next action step to better their life. But so many got stuck in that analysis paralysis. So do you want to talk more about what's going on? Absolutely. I think sometimes our thoughts and our minds can be our biggest enemy and our biggest limiting factors. There is this wonderful story about Robert Bannister, who is the person who finally accomplished the four-minute mile. And before he did that, all the doctors, all the scientists were saying, this is just not physically possible for a human being. But then he did it. And you know what's crazy? In the weeks after, dozens of people did it too. So once people knew it was possible, really, 
the sky was the limit, quite literally. And I think that sometimes even in our best attempts to protect ourselves, to make sure that we've looked at everything, dotted our I's, crossed our T's, we end up putting limiting factors in our mindset. And we say, but wait, if I do this and it doesn't succeed, then what am I going to do? Or what, what if I put all my energy into launching this program and then nobody actually signs up? And of course, all those things are future instances of self-doubt, but they haven't come true. And yet the way that the human mind works, thoughts are so powerful. The minute that you think them, it feels like it's happening and it's real. And then you respond to it as if it was something physical right in front of you that's already happening. And so our minds are these incredible things that obviously led to us being at the top of the food chain, but also sometimes leads to our downfall. Okay. So you're bringing up some, a really great point here because for me at this point, I felt, you know, I've got a background. I've got a master's in, in clinical psychology. It's not like not my first rodeo. I'm great at helping people step into their truth and their human potential and all that. And I was, there were so many of the minds I could feel it and they were just locked. It was like locked beyond logic locked beyond like it wasn't that big of a stretch that people needed to really take and it's it is like now that you're describing it it's like they froze like they were in front of a saber-toothed tiger yes that's it and so is that because of the the trigger that's set in yeah absolutely so what happens is when you perceive that threat and remember it's still a perception because what you're fearing is mostly something that's not happening right now. So what's happening right now is you and I are having a conversation. Now, if one of us all of a sudden found ourselves in a burning building, we would just face it and we would try to get out of it. It would be automatic. Our fight or flight would just kick in and we just do it. The problem with the kind of fears that hold people back is that it's kind of like of an imagined future. And just like you said, the fear though feels so real, it's as if it's happening in the moment. And so then that's a really big conflict for our minds to conceive because on the one hand, if the actual threat was happening, you just kind of do what it takes to get out of it. But if it's not happening, but you have that emotional or physiological feeling that it is, then you get paralyzed because you're like, wait, what am I supposed to do? There's actually nothing to do in the moment to get myself out of the threat, but yet I still feel the very visceral fear that it brings. Mm -hmm. And that's when your mind starts to shut down and go into that freeze mindset where it's like, well, I can't run and I can't confront it because there's nothing to confront right now. So I guess I'll just, like you said, stay in that locked position, sometimes do nothing or worse yet, sometimes talk yourself out of your dreams. Like, well, I don't Mm -hmm. really want that anyway. You know, it doesn't seem like something that a practical girl like me would do. It's, that just seems like somebody who's like living in a little bubble. Like that, that dream is too big. It's okay. I should just be grateful for what I have and kind of just stay here. It's good. It's fine. All right. So it's the, is it the triggers that put us into that fight or flight, that freeze mode? Yeah. So the triggers that we have are different types of thought triggers. So aside from the life factors, which are kind of like the underlying things that drive us to have our triggers, 
there's also thought triggers, which is when your mind has that automatic moment where it interprets an event as something. And everybody has different types of triggers when they're faced with stressful situations. And some of the common triggers are catastrophic thinking, where you think that the worst thing is going to happen, even if probabilistically it's maybe a 1% chance or less. It could also be black or white thinking where you make one mistake and it's like, okay, I'm a failure, right? Instead of seeing the grays and saying, all right, I made one mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Let's get back on. It could be a type of trigger where you start to compare yourself too much to other people. Now we're social beings. So of course, we're going to look to other people to decide sometimes what we should be doing. That's just a natural instinct, but some people do it a bit too much. And they're constantly looking at other aspirational people like you, Gina, and saying, I could never achieve what Gina achieves. So I should just forget it, you know? And then on the on the process, they actually beat themselves up too, you know, for even having that dream in the first place. And also a lot of people are trapped by thought triggers like shoulds. Like I should be farther along by now. I should have had a return on my investment. Uh, I should be a better wife, a better mother, a better friend. And that of course causes people a great deal of stress and anxiety and also shame. And shame locks you into that position of doing nothing or running away from what you want. Interesting. All right. So I'm, and everyone, just so you know, um, I'm on page 66 of Judy's incredible book and she's got a, an incredible chart that just totally explains it all. Like when I was like going through it, I was like, it felt so grounding to like, see it like listed out. And like, she just kind of, you know, so naturally and elegantly said all this. All right. So one of the triggers is this overgeneralizing or catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. So what, I mean, I've done it. I know. And I, so I'm like, I've now learned, I've trained myself that if I read an email and I'm triggered, like I literally, I force myself away because when I go back and reread the email, I will realize most of the time what I experienced was not actually in the email. Yes. Yes. Like this was not what was said. That was not how I interpreted was not the way it was like it literally like not even. And I've had this certainly with clients too, you know, because I'm, I'm a really fierce coach. And so like, I want someone to get the, the best. And sometimes there's a psychological surgery that needs to take place there. It's like, and, and I've seen clients go into this, like Gina said, this. like, it's not what happened. It wasn't the reality. So what do we do with this? if we have a trigger of overgeneralizing or catastrophizing? So when you have a trigger of overgeneralizing and catastrophizing, what we need to do is just take a step back. You know, again, thoughts oftentimes, as soon as we think them, and that example was excellent because it's all about your interpretation of what happens, right? Your reality is basically a lot based on your perception. And so when you notice that you tend to do this, it's just backing away and remembering this particular statement, which is that thoughts do not equal truth and really starting to take like an attitude of curiosity towards your thinking, right? So instead of like, oh, I had this negative thought, great, my day's ruined, you know, it's, oh, I had a really painful, negative, you know, strong thought just now. Now, what about that statement is true? And what about that statement isn't? Where's my proof? Like, where's the proof? It's almost like, thinking about evidence. And when we say proof, we're not talking about more thoughts because those are just more interpretations, but it's more about facts. It's like, if I think that this thought is partially true, what can I say actually proves that? Like that somebody else could also see in the room and be like, 
oh yeah, that happened, right? So for example, a, a proof that, okay, I'm having a difficult time in my marriage right now, proof would be something like, well, my husband and I just had a really, really tough argument right now. Like that would be proof because if somebody was in the room, they would witness that you guys had an argument, right? You, it's not an interpretation of that argument. It's not, that argument was the end all in our relationship. I mean, nobody can prove that, but somebody could prove, oh, well, if I was the fly on the wall, I could, I could say, yes, you guys did have that argument, right? And I think that we don't take that kind of very objective approach to our thinking. It's like, what, where's the proof in the pudding? And also, where's the proof to the contrary? So if your thought is, oh my gosh, my marriage is going to end, what are your thoughts telling you that the evidence isn't? So perhaps there's some evidence that actually there is hope for your marriage. For example, oh, we started couples counseling a month ago. So, you know, obviously we're working towards a better relationship. People don't take the time just to back up from their thoughts and they instead just go all in on that perception and then mm -hmm. they start to feel a certain way and act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's do the next one. Shoulds. So... And the example I was giving before, most of the women were saying like, I shouldn't mm -hmm. spend the money, take the time for myself, sign up for another class. So is that in the same category as I should or I shouldn't? Yeah, exactly. It's the same. Yep. It okay. works both ways. <laughs> All right. And so I love what this, I, ooh, I wish I would have revisited this before my, the, the cart closed that day. Perfectionism and fear of criticism is the cause of that. Yes. So if these women were saying, I'm not going to sign up for the class because I shouldn't spend that money, how could I help them take their next step into greatness? Well, I think it's super important that you recognize that you have that type of perfectionism that actually ends up holding you back, right? There's the perfectionists who actually procrastinate. There's the perfectionists who actually say no to opportunities because they're afraid of judgment or failure. Mm. And so I think one thing is just transforming that idea about failure. Failure is the mother of success. It's necessary for success. It's probably better that you fail quickly so that you learn those lessons and then you decide what's still there so that you can keep building. But people don't see failure that way. They only think about the judgment piece of failure. And oftentimes the harshest judge is themselves. So, sure. it, so it's really about you know giving yourself that leeway. And for people who are kind of perfectionistic and fear criticism, it's really about giving yourself that leeway to make mistakes and to take a chance and really telling yourself that, what would my life be like if I didn't? I mean, sometimes it's really helpful to ask yourself, if I don't invest this money, if I don't try this idea out, if I don't follow my dream, then how would I feel? Mm -hmm. How would I feel about myself? How would I feel about my life? How would I feel about me being a good role model to my children, my family? And usually people then see that the loss of those opportunities actually would cost them a great deal of value in their life, that there's value in taking that risk. And there's a value in being good to yourself and saying, you know what, be gentle, like just take a shot. Like you don't want to regret this later, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's helping them to make that switch in their mindset. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Let's do one more. I think, I think this is pretty standard also personalization. Mm when we just take something personal because someone else is having a different experience or has a different need to do something. And, you know, I think I'll, I'll just relate this to business so again, because I think so many listeners are entrepreneurs. It's like you put your love, life, heart, soul, every penny, every 
waking hour into your business. And then someone says, your course isn't good. The coaching doesn't work. Whatever their complaint is, typically 100% of the time, because that person didn't show up for themselves, very rarely has anything to do with the course or the coaching or the whatever. And yet the automatic default mode for so many women, maybe not everyone, is the personalization. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think that personalization can plague people so easily because it's easy for us to think that we're the reason that something went awry. And I think that while that's a admirable trait in moderation, because then you're self-evaluating, you're developing, right? You're learning from people like you, Gina. It can also cause you so much anxiety and stress that it ends up getting in the way of you doing the things that you need to do to bring your business or your life to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I like to tell the people that I work with that 99.9% .9 of the time, people are not thinking about you. They think about themselves. A lot of that stuff really is them. Like it's, it, I know it's like an overused saying, but it's just true that like, almost all the time. It is about that other person. They have a reaction and they seem like, especially if they're overreacting, it's like, okay, well that's something on you. Like you're going through something right now and you need to obviously sort that out for yourself. But it's just so easy for us to want to take responsibility and somehow say, well, what did I do wrong? And of course that leads you down a whole other path. And I'm sure you talk to your Queens about this. It's like, well, is that queen behavior? If you're basically acting in a self-deprecating way and maybe you didn't even need to because that person wasn't actually upset with you. They're mm -hmm. upset with something that's going on in their own life. And so it's really important to kind of keep your eye and your mind on your own life. When something like that happens, you know, just take a beat, right? It's like, what is the most likely explanation? Like, mm -hmm. what is the most likely explanation? I think sometimes people go to that like far out explanation that involves them and we've all done it. You know, I mean, I remember sometimes I'll be walking down the hall at like, where I was going to school when I was a grad student and I'll be like, hi, I'm all excited to see someone. And they'll just say, oh, hey. And they just look so like uninterested. The first thing I'm thinking is what did I do wrong? Like, did I make them mad? Did I do something to upset them? And then you, you walk it back and you're like, that's not logical. I haven't spoken to this person in the last few days. Nothing's happened. Like they were fine the last time I saw them, but like that moment reaction is so common for all of us is to like attribute it to ourselves and then to start to do things that are very reactive. So I think it's just about like taking a moment, asking yourself, what's the most likely explanation. And sometimes chatting with somebody that we trust, like, Hey, this happened to me today. Do you think that was about me? Or do you think mm -hmm. I should just leave it alone? And sometimes if you have really great mentors, guys, friends in your life, they can talk you down from a ledge and be like, yeah, that wasn't about you. You can just leave them alone for a day and check in mm -hmm. on them tomorrow. You know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, what was really coming up for me about this personalization thing is how much it's actually not about taking personal responsibility as much as it seems like it's rooted in codependency. Yeah. It's like needing the approval from someone else and actually taking on their stuff, which is way different than taking personal responsibility, right? Personal responsibility is actually what you're saying. This has nothing to do with me and I'm actually not going to take on your stuff. But I think that if it's all playing out in the unconscious and we just, we just take on that attack. Like, and we're the back in front of that saber toothed tiger and then we're in reaction and then it's no yeah. good comes from that. 
And I'm so glad that you brought up that concept of codependency. I know that that's a word that people use a lot, but sometimes they don't understand what it is. And you know, you're absolutely right that when you feel responsible for somebody else's well-being and behaviors and how they're feeling, results um, in a program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you can't do that, you know, because obviously it just takes you down a complete other path and sometimes away from the things that you really need to do to actually strengthen that relationship or your business or whatever else that might be in play. And I think it's just a great reminder for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's either I'm missing something or there's one I'm not seeing on your checklist. I need your help with something. Okay. <laughs> like, in case you all thought that this was me interviewing Dr. Judy, this is my personal therapy session, everyone. <laughs> All right. So what about, so you and I actually had brunch at like the very beginning of the year. And I had like these three goals I was working on. One of them was body transformation. Yep. And Judy, I was amazing January, February, and March. Like I was like, I got a girl's trip to Bali to look forward to in April. My book is coming out in March. And I was like at the gym, clean eating. And it was easy. Actually, it was, it, it was a enjoyable, pleasurable. I was not starving myself. I was not miserable. My body was the whole thing. And then COVID hits and it's like Taco Tuesday, pizza Wednesday, want a cocktail on Thursday. Like it was just adult camp here. So (laughs) I didn't quite do the COVID 15, but I did a solid 10. And I, on top of which not like, you know, completely stalled my, my, um, goals. So fine, no problem. August rolls around and I'm like, I've had plenty of tacos and pizza now. I'm ready to like start working out again, the whole thing. So I get going and I did well. And then I had whatever, Mexico was last week and there was, so today I'm like, Gina, you you have just under three months. Like you can still do something major. You can, you can do something great in three months. You owe it to yourself because this is not, it's not like you're not interested in this goal anymore. Like see this through. And I'm like, okay, so here I am with the detox teas and the intermittent fasting, did the treadmill this morning, the whole thing. And I'm like, and Glenn's like, all right, like super clean eating. And I was like, yeah, grilled salmon, vegetables today. Like that was, this is three o'clock. That was like at, I don't know, six hours ago, 9 a.m. I'm like grilled salmon, vegetables. And already I can feel myself. I'm like, you know, just an appetizer of cheese and crackers. Like what's one glass of wine isn't gonna blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm like, Sheena, you are not even 24 hours. And so where is that in the self-sabotage chart? And what do we do about this? Because it's going to be six o'clock soon and I need some help. Well, I think that this actually falls under the category of somewhat of a black and white thinking because- Oh, we didn't talk about that one. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. And I think that it falls under that because I think that is the approach that a lot of people take to establishing healthy habits. So, you know, again, I think what you're describing is like, you want to have that almost that perfection in a way like, okay, this is my first day. I really want to start out strong. Like I don't even want to have a cheese and cracker, like even just one or two pieces, like, cause that's just not a good start. And then you're obviously telling me I can have the Chardonnay. I'm telling you that you can. 
And, and that is because you have to think about lifestyle. You do. And, and I think there's multiple ways in which you can cultivate healthy habits. And I feel like what you're telling me is you're like, just like everything else in life, Gina, you're like hitting it hard. You're like, let's do this. But also some things require a little bit of nuance. And like, you know, um, this is exactly one of those situations where you need a little bit of a nuance. So the nuance is you should have two ounces of a Chardonnay. Like, why not? It's great for you. It's good to have two ounces of Chardonnay on a day when you're trying to eat healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about, okay, I, I want to have those cheese and crackers, but maybe it's a little bit of a portion control just to show myself that I can have a couple and then put it down. Like it doesn't have to be, and it, there's only three months left in the year and I have to get this done. It's like, no, like every day is like a fresh day and every moment is a fresh moment to make a good decision. So I would, I would not say that it's an unhealthy decision to have a few sips of wine. I also would not say that it's an unhealthy decision to have a couple of pieces of crackers with cheese. You just changed everything for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. First of all, I, I, I literally skipped over the black and white thinking because I didn't think it applied to me. I'm like, no, I'm past that one. Let's go to the other stuff. So that's fun and funny. But next, you know, the thing I didn't tell you that was going on for me in January, February, March, you know, I said, well, and I wasn't deprived. I wasn't. I was doing exactly that because yeah. I, well, I thought that I had all you. So I was like a glass of wine here, smaller port. Like I had pasta, but it was a smaller port. It was nothing crazy. I was working out, drinking my water. I was losing the weight left, right, and center. And that's what I was doing. And now somehow I'm like, there's only three months left. So there's no cheese and crackers. There's no wine. There's like militant. And I was already like, ah. Yep, exactly. And then there's so much stress and pressure because who could keep up with that? Answer, nobody. You know, that's not going to be a lifestyle change that you can deal with. And also, <laughs> it just feels like every day you're in a countdown. Like, well, I blew yesterday, so now I only have two months and 10 days to get it. <laughs> oh, I think that it's really important to give yourself a little bit of grace and give yourself a little bit of that nuanced thinking around the healthy habits. And also remember that it takes about four to five weeks for a healthy habit to lock in. So if you have a couple of, you know, steps off the wagon along the way, it's should be expected. Like just know that that could happen. And also well, that you were able to do it in the beginning of the year, you were awesome at the beginning of the year. So obviously you have past successes to remember. True. I just, I actually love what you're saying that it is it was the black and white thinking that put me into this, this trigger. And it was a kind of, I mean, I didn't have the words for it, but it was a bit of a fight or a flight. Like now the thought of like, well, sure, have a little bit. And like, well, it almost makes me want to like go do like a double workout today just for the fun of it. And like, just like I can, it's like choice and freedom. And, and as we know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that isn't going to keep me from my goals if I've got all the other stuff in line like it was before. But I, I got rigid about what's, what's the black and white? Wait. Discomfort with ambiguity, easily overwhelmed by decisions. You know, it's really interesting, Judy. I don't think that it doesn't resonate in the other areas of my life, but with the whole food thing, it does. Cause like, I, I don't do that with business. I don't do that with my love life, but with food, I'm like, tell me what to eat. Like, because I don't want to get it wrong. And it's like, but, and yeah. the work at like, do I do 30 minutes of cardio and 15 minutes? Of, like I get into this, like, I can't handle the ambiguity because I'm afraid I won't get the result then. 
Yeah. And you know, what's so funny is obviously you're not that person in all these other areas of your life. And that actually, I hope will resonate with your listeners because I think that in general, people don't find that they're black and white thinking in everything. It's like one area of their life. They're that way, you know, and for you, it's mostly like exercise and food. Mm -hmm. Somebody else, it could be relationships, you know? Right. So everybody kind of has their like tough spot. And I would say that for exercise, it seems easy to have that black and white thinking. Cause you're like, okay, I just want a prescription, right? Like I, I don't drink wine. I don't eat cheese and like, boom, like all my goals are met, but obviously the human biology and chemistry is not that simple. And I will say this, we do know that there is a stress response when you have black and white thinking with eating and exercise, meaning that you put your body in that kind of like hyper cortisol state because it's stressful to be like, when can I have cheese next? Or like, mm-hmm. no, I can't have alcohol because until Saturday, that's my one day where I can have my glass of wine this week. That energy, that cognitive energy is taking away from all of the other things that you have to do today. I know you always have a million things on your to-do list and it actually exhausts you in other ways because you're wrestling in your head with this idea of like, no, 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 no. Like you're constantly exercising that regulation, emotional control when you maybe don't need to. So thinking about healthy habits, more like a moment to moment decision, like, okay, I, I might have some cheese, but guess what? Like a healthy decision is to have like two pieces of cheese. Yeah. I don't have to have like the whole plate, you know? Wow. 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 I mean, this, and just for all, all the Queens listening right now, this is the difference in this way between the masculine and the feminine. Like the masculine is the logical, the linear, the structured, the tangible, the, you know, counting the calories. It's logical to not have alcohol or cheese or crackers and and the whole thing. And yet the feminine is about play and pleasure and not overindulgence, of course, but also not that level of rigidity. So really, Mm. Um, and like, like already can just feel my butt. It doesn't make me want to binge on a larger plate of cheese and crackers, but like the thought of not being able to have any is like making me want it more. It's craziness. Isn't that crazy that you know how the mind works? Like you said, you're an expert in this area. You're an expert in human behavior. You've had official training and experiential training. And yet we all are prey to the same thing. And when we're told that we can have something, it's so exhausting to try to fight that, like, and like Mm want to fight and be like, well, why can't I? Or like, oh, well now I have to like, really just like suffer for the rest of the night because Mm -hmm. I can't have these things. It really changes the way that we respond to things that hopefully should feel more like you said, like play, like, well, like I could either have that cheese today or not. And then Mm -hmm. some people don't want it. Like if you give yourself that, that openness of, I can have some, I just don't have to overdo it, you know? And even if you accidentally overdo it one day, it's not like, oh no, now I only have two months for my goal. It's like, it's okay. not a habit, right? It's, it, it's so interesting. I was on the, uh, the plane yesterday flying back from Mexico and oftentimes when I'm on a flight, I'll, I'll have a glass of Chardonnay or whatever. And, and I had like given myself permission, like it's the last day before lockdown. And you know, the stewardess is like, what would you like? And I'm like, sparkling water. But it's like, I had given myself, I could have had anything I wanted. And I actually like asked my body what it had wanted and wanted sparkling water. And so this is just, it's making so much sense. I hope everybody listening realizes that I think that especially we women, we have just been so suppressed and ruled and controlled and taught like what's going to have us be safe and what's going to have us be wrong. And it's just really time for us to give ourselves permission, knowing that when we do, we're going to be led to our success and our greatness. I 
Totally agree. And I look forward to hearing about your two to three ounces of Chardonnay later this evening. (laughs) (laughs) Consider that homework assignment accomplished. (laughs) Okay. What, I mean, your book is just so filled. There's so much goodness, everyone. You definitely need, make sure you get Stop Self-Sabotage. I've got it like flagged and underlined. Um, It's such a good book. What's one morsel that we haven't covered that you'd like to leave people with about getting out of their own way, especially as we, you know, wrap this 2020 and not using these last three months as any excuse to just check out, but like dial it in and not be in the patterns that have, that we're not happy with? What a great question. And I think right now there's still a lot of stress. There's still a lot of overwhelm. People feel like their lives are being contracted every day because it's just like, they're still mostly working and playing and doing everything in the same space. And it just feels like there's a lot going on. And I think the most important thing that will help reduce the overwhelm and clear up your thinking and make decision-making easier is really to tap into your values. And I know, Gina, you talk about this a lot in your work as well. And I think it's just so important because goals are nothing without values. Like what's truly important to you, right? You don't want to make a goal just because like the person next to you is making that goal, right? You really Mm -hmm. want it to mean something for yourself if you want that everlasting motivation and willpower. And I think sometimes we don't ask ourselves enough, what do I truly value? What are my top five values? Because if you knew them and if they were always at the surface of your mind, then whenever an opportunity comes your way or something you have to do, it becomes a lot easier to say yes or no to it. Like, yes, if it feeds my top values, no, if it doesn't, you know? And I think that that's really important for all of us just to remember because values, again, talking about black and white thinking is not something you can check off. It's kind of nuanced, right? It's like you either move in accordance with your value or you don't. So if, if one of your values is integrity, it's not like one day you're like, I've been uh, full of integrity enough. I'm done. Check it off. No longer. <laughs> like every single day you're making a decision to be a person with integrity, right? And every moment you have a chance to make a decision either for or against it. And so I just encourage people to really think about what's important to you. What are your values? And then to create your goals related to that, you know, really have your goals derived from your values. And then whenever you have to make decisions, think about your values, right? Just keep them top of mind. I think that it's a really nice thing for us right now, especially when there's a lot of overwhelm, a lot of things going on, a lot of balls in the air. It really helps to clear and simplify your life. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. So a couple remaining questions for you. I think that it might seem obvious that everyone has had to pivot this year, except for like what you're talking about before, like we're only thinking about ourselves and all the ways that even if things became better for some of us and other people certainly had incredible challenges this year, like somehow we can still focus on like either disappointment or what we had to let go of or what didn't go as planned. And, you know, I've talked a lot about the, the pivots with my own book and book launch and all that. And it's just, for me, it's like the, the universe just shifted me in such a, a bigger way. So um, with going so virtual and online. So what are some of the big pivots or a big pivot that you went through this year? Well, I think a big pivot for me is actually learning how to balance my leisure life with my work life a bit better. Tell and- me more. I know. I'm so excited that like this actually happened for me because I'm totally a workaholic. I know that I'm a workaholic 
and my whole thing has always been, but I love my work and, you know, I, I don't mind doing it, but that's not true. You know, we, we still all need to recharge. I don't care how busy you are, how, you know, how important the things that you have to get to is you all need time to have actually focused self-care and focused time to be with your loved ones. And the pandemic has really forced me to do that because I was spending Gina an average of three to four hours in my commute every single day before the pandemic. I can't even believe that I went sister. Hello. I seriously, I don't even remember that life now. It's like been six months and it was interesting when it first happened because I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess we're hunkering down for a few weeks. Like, I mean, obviously now we're like seven months in, but like at the time I was like, okay, for a few weeks. And it was just amazing that that additional time gave me permission basically to be like, what are my hobbies? And, you know, I really pride myself in being um, somebody who actually, I actually really enjoy some of the more traditional duties of being a wife. Like I, I love cooking. So I'm like, I don't mind cooking for my husband. In fact, I enjoy it. And I just didn't have time to cook. I mean, I would come home at like 930 at night and my husband gets up at five to work. So he's like, I don't, I'm not eating dinner at 10 PM. I'm going to sleep. Right. So it just gave us that time to like really step back. I mean, now we have dinner together every night, right. We like cook our dinners. We pray like it's given us a lot of additional quality time that I'm very thankful for. It's given me time to like revisit all of my favorite hobbies and actually have time to do them. Y'all have to follow her. We'll give all the links later, but you, if you're not following Dr. Judy on Instagram, you're not living. You're going to see this woman sing, play the piano. Like what was that? A stuffed eggplant or peppers or something the other day? Like, I mean, it's, she's full on people, full on. And it's been great. It's really been great to do that and then also be able to work. I mean, I actually, sometimes it does feel like it's overwhelming because then you're like doing laundry and trying to work on the same time, you know, but, but I think overall it's been a great change because I've gotten more time to like really sit with the things that are important to me and, and that I'm not completely defined by my work. I feel like a huge part of my identity was like defined by my work success and my work achievements. And it just gave me a view of a different type of identity mm. that I hadn't visited. So I, I actually thought that that was a huge pivot for me that I really enjoyed. And also another big pivot is not being able to control as much, right? You just have to like roll with the punches. Like you just can't make plans the way that you used to. You can't be like three months out, I'm doing this. Like, right. So that has released my own perfectionism and I feel like I'm a better person for it. So I think my self-development journey has definitely increased in this time. That's so beautiful, Judy. That's so beautiful. So what do you, what are you doing next, working on next, other than your piano and singing skills and dinner with your <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I am working on my second book, so I'm really excited about that. It's like- the What's first- it on? We haven't even discussed that actually. Are you yeah. allowed to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not really a huge secret, but my book is all going to be all about personality, how you can like harness the strengths of your personality and live and work and play better. I'm really excited about it. So I'm working on that. And then I'm also working on my podcast, which was born during the pandemic. It was born. Right. Talk about another pivot for you. Yep. It was like, we, at first we were like starting to record at the studio and I'm, oh, no studio. Like, you know, like not recording from home. Uh, and then, you know, really, uh, really taking a big pivot there, but I really enjoyed that. It's called supercharged life. If you guys want to check it out. 
Um, and links. still continuing to doing private practice, still continuing to work at the university where I'm a tenured professor at Pepperdine. And I mean, I, I still wear so many hats, but I do find that so much of this is a time of transformation, is a time of expansion instead of contraction. And so mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed just being able to kind of like working, still working on all these things, not a hundred percent knowing exactly where they're going to go and being okay with that. Um, Beautiful. Fun. So thank you for asking me about that. I haven't seen you in several months and I, you were one of the last people I got together with. I remember we had a brunch like maybe two weeks before the, the, the shutdown. Right. Right. And then there was, was that, that, that event at the Tory Burch store? Yes, that was in December. That was maybe before the brunch. I think. Oh, we, was that? Oh, that's all blurring now for sure. Crazy. I don't even know what day it is sometimes, but I feel like we had the brunch in February, and then two or three weeks after. The, no, the brunch was definitely January. It was a it was a New Year's brunch. That oh, I remember. I haven't seen you then in eight months. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel like that. It's the one good thing about social media. I think, you know, I've been tracking you on Instagram and maybe vice versa, but I certainly do miss being in person with you. And this has been amazing. I feel like I've gotten my dose of Dr. Judy. So thank you for coming and blessing us with your your wisdom and your skills, everyone. Obviously, we're going to put it all this in the show notes, but check out Stop Self Sabotage. Go buy this book. You're going to follow Dr. Judy on Instagram, subscribe to her podcast, all the things. Uh, take a screenshot of this episode and let us know what your big takeaways were. I know mine is very clear that I get to have wine tonight. Yes. <laughs> It's to have wine and a couple of pieces of cheese. So. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my, I, but seriously, Judy, I mean, it's like, you know, we just can't see ourselves. This is why it's so important to be around experts and smart people. Like I never would have, I just didn't identify that I was going black and white and so rigid and that it actually wasn't serving, which is why it wouldn't be sustainable, which, yeah, but this other is. So I'm just really grateful. Oh, I'm grateful for you, Gina. Keep up the amazing work you're doing. I love seeing you on Instagram. Whenever I see it in my feed, I'm like, oh, Gina. Like, And you always just look like you're up to so much and pivoting and adapting and it's your real inspiration. So thank you. Well, you're so welcome. Thrilled that you were here. And until next time, thanks for listening, everyone. Oh my goodness, how much did you love, love, love this conversation? Please go ahead and take a screenshot of this episode right now. And I want you to tag me on Instagram and share with me what your biggest takeaway was. I love being in conversation with you, hearing from you, DM me. um, And I really love getting what is the one big takeaway that you got from this episode. Let me know on Instagram. 